Hi there. You're listening to Development Unplugged, hosted by the Canadian Council for International Cooperation. Here we are providing a platform for cutting-edge thinking and debate on global issues and international cooperation. Whether you're a social sciences major, a journalist in pursuit of answers, a program officer brainstorming on that next project, or the CEO of a nonprofit, this is your source for all things international cooperation. I'm your host, Nick Moyer. On this episode, we're talking to Susanna Moorhead. She's chair of the OECD Development Assistance Committee, the DAC, and she's on a visit to Ottawa this July, where she's been meeting with key partners in government and civil society and with the private sector. And she's agreed to spend some time with us. And so thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's uh, not your first visit to Canada, I understand. No, no, I um, spent a lot of my childhood in uh, Montreal and all my family live in Vancouver now. So I, I come here regularly. Oh my, so we have uh, we have a natural ally, perhaps uh, another one at the table at the deck, um, knowing well Canada and our culture and how we engage. You, you've had a, a pretty amazing career, one that has led you to work in and with and around civil society quite extensively, uh, not least of which was some time with Save the Children in Mali. Um, and you, your previous position was as ambassador to Ethiopia. And so I wonder, one of the things that you've had a chance to talk about here with partners is around shrinking space for civil society. And I'd love to hear a little bit, if you wouldn't mind sharing, you know, as the world is dealing with really tremendous changes and civil society does feel under pressure, how is the, how is the DAC engaging with civil society? and How do you see that evolving through your time uh, in your mandate? The first thing we're doing is to have a regular structured dialogue with civil society um, so that uh, a representative group of uh, civil society organizations, both from DAC member countries but also from partner countries, uh, engage in our uh, senior level meetings and we have regular conversations with them, uh, obviously about their concerns but also our policy initiatives and how we can work more closely together. The second thing is we hosted last month in Paris the first uh, week of civil society events, uh, which was another opportunity to share the work that the DAC's doing, but also to learn from civil society. And finally, as part of our uh, monitoring of what DAC members do, we uh, report on um, how DAC members work with civil society in partner countries, how effective they are as, as development partners, how they use their resources, and whether they're doing well enough to open up uh, space for, for civil society. Mm. Well, it's certainly been great to see the evolution of the CSO reference group, and, and I certainly applaud uh, that, and it's one that we follow closely. In Canada, civil society has actually engaged quite extensively with uh, the Canadian government. We've developed a very strong relationship around our CSO partnership policy and quite extensive interactions with them, um, with Global Affairs in particular, um, in a range of different files. And and certainly we hope that Canada will continue to be uh, a leader with respect to, to this um, and continue to contribute in strong ways within, within the DAC. Um, you know, we're, as a 
as a country, we have uh, expressed great ambition for um, Canada's role in the world, um, not least with the feminist international assistance policy. I was reading um, Forbes this week, uh, not or just last week, put out uh, a statement saying that Canada was one of the most positive influences in the world. For the first time, we topped their indicator. And it makes me wonder, this leadership that we appear to have through the vision that has been stated as a, as a country, um, you know, how do you think that can be best realized? Um, where can Canada have uh, the influence that you're hoping at the at the table at the DAC? So I think you have a, a, a feminist foreign policy as well, don't you? It's not just a development assistance policy, which I you know I think it's great. Um, I mean, I, it, it um, really puts some uh, meat on the bones of what so many countries talk about about trying to deliver gender equality without without really doing enough. So, I mean, Canada occupies um, a very special place, I think, in, in the global development architecture. I mean, it's a member of the G7. It's, it's a very influential donor in certain areas. I mean, I think particularly on, on your work on gender equality, but also on fragility and state and peace building. Um, you're a very active member of, of, of the DAC. Um, you have um, a, a strong presence, um, obviously, in, in Anglophone and Francophone countries. Um, so I think, you know, more of the same. Um, I was asked by one of your, your colleagues what, what you should be doing more of, and what I said was focus on what you're doing now and, and, and do it well. Uh, obviously, if Canada were able to um, increase its, its the size of its um, development assistance, that would enable you to do more. But I think you should, uh, for the time being, focus on, on what you're doing, doing well. I would say that you do seem to have a particularly productive partnership between civil society and Global Affairs Canada, uh, which is commendable. I, I often say to civil society colleagues, we really, really need you to be part of the solution and to offer us uh, a positive narrative about development assistance at a time when, in, in many countries, um, it is being challenged. Mm -hmm. I think civil society wants to engage. Um, I, I think that's pretty universal across the globe, and there are many barriers to that in different places. In Canada, we're priv privileged to have been able to fight over a long period of time or work with uh, uh, the context that we have to engage in significant ways. Um, and and there's definitely a lot possible here. But as you've as you as you've pointed out yourself, one of the challenges that we are faced with as civil society is the distinction between the vision that is presented in terms of our engagement in the world and the the resources that haven't followed. And certainly one of the advocacy challenges that we have uh, in Canada. Certainly that's not going away. Um, you know, you have um, you have talked um, in some of your priorities as you have shared them uh, on the importance of changing the narrative um, with respect to demonstrating impact in our sector, and it's something that is very real for us in Canada as well. We need to make sure that we're able to explain uh, what we do um, well in order for there to be support for us to do more. And I think that's part of getting to increased ODA in Canada. So, what when you identify this as a priority, what does that mean? for the DAC and for the for the time that you will be spending uh, in this role? Well, our development cooperation report this year, which will be published um, at the end of 2019, is uh, going to be a 
refreshed and revised narrative, the case for development cooperation. Uh, I mean, I'm part of the, um, the Live Aid generation. Uh, I think we need a story that speaks to the, um, the generation that is so concerned about climate change as well as development and, and to be far more explicit about how climate change and development are, are two sides of the same, same coin. Mm. I also think that uh, the sustainable development goals are extremely important um, and a unifying framework, but I'm not sure everybody is familiar with them. So I think we need to explain that better. Um, and I think there needs to be an understanding that countries such as Canada that um, are providing official development assistance uh, have many taxpayers who have other spending priorities. So to strike a balance, to, to demonstrate to Canadian taxpayers that this is money well spent, but also to recognize the efforts that Canada is making to mobilize other sorts of finance for development, I mean, particularly blended finance, um, impact investment from the private sector. So, you know, there's a, there will never be enough ODA in the world. Um, and one of the challenges we have is how to mobilize other sorts of resources to, to complement the ODA spend. And it's a big challenge. I mean, with, with the trillions of dollars that are needed to reach the SDGs and the 2030 agenda, I, I think there's a lot of excitement for what is possible in this space within civil society, and, and, but also a lot of uh, difficulty fully realizing that potential and from you know skill sets that are needed, even understanding what blended finance could do or um, you know performance-based financing or, or all of these new mechanisms that are out there. Um, you know, and, and Canada seems to be setting a really ambitious agenda around trialing some of these things and piloting. And, and that can be uh, presenting some real excitement. But I, I do wonder, do you have uh, examples in mind of other countries that have been very successful in pushing sort of ambitious agendas? Any, any sense of sort of uh, sharing you might want to provide to the civil society sector in Canada as we engage with our government on, on these uh, sort of ambitious feminist international objectives or you know, generally good, good partnership and donor ownership um, or, or, or for, for the donor side of the equation as well? Um, and I think civil society in a country like Canada, it, 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 it needs to challenge conventional wisdom and it needs to hold its government to account um, and it needs to um, innovate and take risks um, in ways that that you know larger um, government-supported uh, programs can't always do. I think that's a that's a hugely important function. But but to be constructively critical, um, it's very easy to say uh, just just do it do it differently, do it better. And I think uh, civil society is that it's it's most powerful when it can demonstrate an alternative way of doing things and then to work closely with uh, government or with uh, multilateral organizations to help deliver that. Mm. So it, it, it's a sort of win-win rather than a 
rather than a competition. I also think um, you know it, it's an extremely important partnership in in country as well because civil society organisations generally have far better links into local communities um, than donor agencies. So we're able to provide that that essential knowledge and understanding about what's what's really happening, mm-hmm. um, particularly outside the capital city. So you know we're all. Um, we all need to work together. Uh, yes, we do. It's a, a pretty symbiotic relationship, it is. is it not? And and I think you make a very good point that it's it's important for civil society both. It's true to be independent, to be a critical voice, but for that critique to be well received, it also involves recognizing where we need to work well together and what partnership means, and that partnership should be the basis for for that interaction. Um, you know, our time is running short, and. I want to ask you, as Canada is uh, considering a bid for uh, the UN Security Council seat, and I know that's only peripherally in your world, but what is your sense of some of the things that Canada might want to do or what is expected of uh, countries that might want to have a seat at that table? Well, I think um, Canada's feminist foreign policy and development policy would for me be the uh, the calling card for making making that case. Um, I mean, Canada does occupy a a unique position in the world, um, and it's I think often regarded as a as a as a broker, if you like, between between different geographies, different polities. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you are, you know, leading the way on, I say, on a feminist foreign policy. So that 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 would be my campaign slogan. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's hope it resonates. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Susanna, for joining us. It was a really a real pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us for this latest episode of Development Unplugged. We hope you enjoyed this conversation with Susanna Moorhead, and that you'll join us for future such conversations whenever we're able to bring them to you.